You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Good to see you guys here today. Uh, we are in a series that we have titled The Word. And so we have been talking about uh, God's Word, the Bible, and why it is important. Last week we talked about uh, the fact that we can trust it. We looked at several reasons why we can trust God's Word uh, today. And, and today we're going to focus on really why is it important. And then next week as we close out this short series, I'm going to talk about how the Bible can change us and how God does change us through the reading and application of his word. And so you won't want to miss next week as I really kind of dive into some practical, practical things that we can do uh, to grow our faith through God's word. And uh, we're also going to have a camp uh, three course entitled How to Study the Bible after that uh, series as well. And so really in two weeks, that's going to take place on Thursday night. Uh, you can find out more information on the Connect Center or in the, uh, on the website. Uh, but that's just another tool, another way to uh, begin to dive in a little bit deeper to the content that we been sharing throughout this series. My challenge last week was for you to go home and uh, go online and see uh, the different 21-day devotional guides that were provided and begin to get into God's Word, begin to study God's Word on your own. So I hope that you've done that. If you missed last week or you've missed kind of that whole talk, I encourage you to go online Uh, watch and listen to that first sermon and then uh, you can follow the links to uh, connect to, it's called the Bible app. So you can have it on your phone, you can have it on your iPad, use it on your computer screen uh, or you can just use it as a guide to help you in your own own study of God's word and and, and through your own journal. So I encourage you guys to do that. Today I wanna talk about really specific how we can uh, know that the Bible is important. Why is it valuable and is it important uh, for us today? I I remember kind of growing up in a Christian home and a Christian family. Um, Even though I was in church a lot and uh, my my dad was in ministry, I really didn't value the Bible. Um, I remember one example that I could share with you was at Christmas. Um, I think I was 14 or 15 years old and uh, my older sisters, they had like a little competition as I was a kid. Uh, my, my older sister is 10 years older than me and my other sister is 11 years older than me. So they always kind of had this competition, who was going to get Trent the better gift? So as a kid, you love that, you, you love that game, right? And so um, when I was little, it was always the best toy. And as I got older, it was just the best whatever item I wanted, clothes or whatever. And so they just did a really good job. And so I remember one year, um, they said that they combined their gifts and, and, and they, they were you know, they were going to give me one and it was both from both of them. And so I was super excited. This is going to be huge. This is going to be awesome. I cannot wait to open up their gift. So come around. It's my turn. I open up this big, heavy box. I rip it open and it was a big honking study Bible. <laughs> now as a 14, 50 year old kid, that was not what I was expecting. And so uh, I put on a good show and all oh, this is great, guys. This is exactly what I wanted, you know. And so we've all done that game at Christmas time. But I remember that very specifically being disappointed with the Bible. But later, as God grew me, as God matured me, um, I actually started to read that study Bible. Um, I took it to seminary with me. I used it the first several years uh, when I became a pastor. I used it so much. I became so familiar with it. I mean, I had highlighted, you know, things, circled things, written notes from class and, and different sermons. That's the first Bible I had ever read from start to finish, from cover to cover. I had read it so much that the back 
binding was falling apart and pages were falling. So I had to duct tape the, the, the back part. I used to preach from it too. So I remember opening it up one day and like a page went floating down on the first row. So I was like, okay, I got to get a new one. But, but I, I just became so attached to that book. And, and, and when you're so familiar, you know, people can ask you questions about things and, and you immediately, you know, go to that go to that section. I could find things so easily. And in another Bible, it would take me a little bit longer to find those things. So it was hard for me to, to move to a new one, but it sits on my shelf now and it's one of my most prized possessions. And I look forward to one day giving it to my, one of my kids uh, as they get older. But I, I haven't always valued it, but man, I do today. And I know that some of you here today, you're probably maybe in my shoes when I was younger, you don't really value the scripture. And so for you, maybe it's just a bunch of stories. It's just a bunch of mythology and and things that were written down by humans. And so it's not that relevant today. Maybe you think it's important, but you never read it and you just kind of bank on me telling you what it says and other pastors telling you what it says. Maybe you're the kind of person that says, yeah, I read it, I love it, and I apply it every day of my life, and you're loving this series. Or finally, I think there's a fourth group of people. And this is a group that believes the Bible is true, believes it's God's word to us. They read it occasionally, but they want to read it more. They know it's valuable, but they are, for whatever reasons, they're just not in it every day. And so I I really designed this series for that person. This series is not to try to convince the atheists or the evolutionists that the Bible is real, the Bible is authentic. This series is designed for the believer who says, you know what, I believe it's true. I just don't read it, but I want to. And so that's why we started last week by talking about the validity of the Bible and, and, and why we can believe that it is true and it's authentically the very words of God. Today, I want to focus on why it's important. I want to give you five reasons for why it's important. So if you're taking notes, let's begin. Number one, the Bible is important because it's the ultimate source of truth. It's the ultimate source of truth. It's not the ultimate source of a truth or not not a part of the truth. It is the ultimate source of truth, period. I mentioned this verse last week, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says that all scripture is God breathed or all scripture is breathed out by God. That means that the Bible is inspired by God. It is the very words of God. It is the breath of God. We say that it is inspired. In other words, it is God's breathed out words to you and I. When the writers put pen to paper, the words were fully their own words, but also fully the words that God wanted them to write. Later, God would say that they, and and he would actually claim that they were his own words we believe at Foothills Church that God's word is inspired. It is, it, is, it is the breath and word of God. But we also believe that God's word is the inerrant and infallible word of God. So those are terms that you don't use at work very often. You're not really mentioning those words. They, they're just kind of churchy words, right? And so we don't use them, but they're important words all throughout history. Uh, ever since the Bible was, was, was actually fashioned by God and, and we've recognized their authority in the world, um, they have come under attack. 
So, I mean, in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, it seems like every decade there's a movement and, 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 and there's a push to try, to try to show that the Bible is filled with errors or inaccurate or, or in fact has all kinds of, you know, inaccurate uh, points to it. And so uh, we have fought for the inerrancy and we have fought for the belief that it is infallible. So it is a, it is a, is a strong and very um, important stance that we take as a church and as individual believers that God's word is infallible. It is inerrant. So inerrant simply means that it is without error. There are no errors in it. It actually means that it's incapable of mistakes. So it's free from all falsehood. The Bible is entirely true and trustworthy in all its statements. So when we say the Bible is inerrant, it is completely true. It does not have any mistakes. And the word fallible is very similar. It just simply means that it's perfect, that it's reliable. It always tells the truth. It never misleads. And so when we say the Bible is infallible and inerrant, we're saying that it is perfect. There are no errors and that you can trust it. And so we affirm that belief here at FC and I strongly encourage you to take that same stand. Now this is hard for us because our words are so fallible. I mean, we say things that are untrue on a regular basis, but when God speaks, everything that God says, everything that God speaks is truth because he's our ultimate source of truth. He cannot lie. He cannot speak falsehood. The Bible says in Romans 23, 19, that God is not a man that he should lie or a son of man that he should repent. So God is, is, is far beyond our capacity to understand and reason this morning, but but. He, he, he's just not telling the truth when he speaks. He is truth. That's why the Isaiah can say in chapter 65, verse 16, that he's the God of truth. It's why in 1 John 5, 20, it says that he is the true God because he is truth. He is true. Everything he says and does is true. Three times throughout the Bible, it says that God cannot lie. So we can believe that if it is God breathed, if, if, if it is the very utterance and words of God, because he cannot lie, that it is true. And there are no mistakes. God cannot make a mistake. God's truth is truth. When Jesus was arrested, he was taken before the governor of the area, Pilate, you remember him. And so Pilate had a very strong question for him at that time. And he said, what is truth to Jesus? And men and women for uh, ever, ever since the creation of man have been asking a similar question. You've probably asked the same question. What is truth? How can I know truth? And, and I would say that the Bible strongly teaches us that when we know Jesus, we don't just know a truth, we know the truth. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me, how can we know this? Jesus says in John chapter eight, verses 31 and 32, he says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So how do we know the truth? It's very clear. I love the progression of this verse. It's, it's, it speaks so clearly to us. We wanna know the truth. You want to experience truth in your life. First and foremost, he says, you must abide in my word. So we abide in God's word. We, we abide in the scriptures and the written word of God. As we abide in the words of Jesus, he says, then I'll know that you're truly my disciples. 
So if we're not abiding in God's word, there's a clear distinction there. If we don't have a love for God's word, if we're not in God's word, then we want to question how deep our maturity is in our faith. Are we really believing in this Jesus or are we just trying to live a cultural, clean life here? But he says, if you abide by my word, then I'll know that you are a true disciple. And then he says, if you're doing that, then you will know the truth. So I know the truth by abiding in his word. And, and, and as a result of abiding in his word and knowing the truth, he says you'll be set free. In other words, you'll experience freedom. You'll experience freedom from various sins and various bad habits in your life. You'll experience freedom mentally, emotionally. You'll begin to experience freedom in your marriage, freedom at work, freedom in life in general as we seek him and love him and follow him and obey him. That's how we know the truth, by abiding in him, his word, and following it. Now, I'm a basketball guy, you guys know that. I love to play and I teach my kids in the driveway and the gym how to play basketball specifically. And so I've taught them how to shoot. There's a, there's a correct way to shoot and there's an incorrect way to shoot. If you watch me shoot, you'll see a correct way. If you watch Pastor Brant shoot, you'll see an incorrect way. And so, so just kidding, he's actually a good athlete. So um, when I teach my kids how to shoot, you know, and then I walk away, I know whether or not they believe and trust me in the fact that I can watch them do it or not do it. So if I specifically show them and I walk away and my son, he starts shooting a completely different way, I, I, when I look at that, I'll say, he didn't, he didn't listen. He, he, he doesn't believe me, he doesn't trust me. Now, I know parents, this probably never happens to you, uh, but it's happened to me a time or two when your kids look at you and they say, how do you know? You know, it's like, if, does that ever happen? You know, and you just want to drop kick them, you know, you want to go karate kid on their head, you know, right there. But, but yeah, so, so they doubt me and, and I'm sure they doubt you as well. So if I teach them how to do something and then I walk away and then I see my kids in the driveway practicing what I just showed them, then I can walk away and then I can say, okay, they believe me, they trust me. And in the same way, that's how God really can operate in our life like we have his word and he teaches us how to live, what to do, what to, you know, what obedience looks like. And so as I follow and trust him, you know, then he can see my life and okay, Trent's trying to put that into practice, he's trying to do it. And that's evidence that I'm a true believer, that I'm abiding in his word. So it really falls down to obedience. And Jesus speaks to this, uh, this, this, this concept in Matthew 7. He just finishes uh, preaching the Sermon on the Mount and then he goes into a great illustration. It's an illustration of building your life upon the rock of truth or on the sand of, 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 of not having faith in what he says. And so he clearly teaches us. He says, if, if, if you're the guy who hears what I say, and then you go and you put it into practice, you're like a man who built his house on the rock. But then he says, if you hear my words and you go away and you don't do them, you're like the man who built his house on the sand. Now, you don't have to have a construction degree today or an engineer background or degree to know you don't build a house on sand. It's going to fall apart. You want to build a house on a strong foundation. And so that's the point of Jesus. He says when, when, when life happens uh, to us, in other words, when suffering, when pain, when temptation, difficult times come our way, we really reveal what our life is built around. Is our life built on the truth of God's word or is our life built upon the sand of the opinions and the culture of our day? Because here's what we know about God's word. The truth never changes. 
In other words, if it was true a thousand years ago, it's true today and it'll be true a thousand years from today. But opinions change every day. Opinions of what our leaders in this country believe and, and think and, 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 and our pop culture changes by the hour. And, you know, what's cool or not cool or what, we, you know, healthy dieting and healthy living changes from year to year and what that looks like. But you see, the truth never changes. And so if our life is built upon the truth of God's word, no matter what we face, no matter what struggles and trials that, that, that we encounter, we're not overwhelmed in the fact that our, you know, our life is over. You know, we're, we don't fold in. We don't cash in our chips and, and say, you know what, I'm, I'm done with the God thing. I'm done with the church thing. You know what, when our faith is built upon the truth of God's word, then no matter what we face, we can, we can face it with a resolve and confidence that God is in control. I mean, we've all seen people go through this, people who have a strong, deep faith and, and a very serious traumatic event takes place in their life. And yet we see a positive attitude. We see signs that, that they are still looking for the good in life. And we see that and we think, man, how in the world are they able to do that after going through what they just went through? And, and what we're seeing is evidence that their life has been built upon the truth of God's word. There, there's a strong foundation now, many of us will, we'll re, it'll be revealed in our life when a, when, a, when a tragedy or a difficult time comes our way that our life is built on the sand because we, we totally lose it emotionally. You know, we, we can't handle it and, and emotionally and physically we're a train wreck. And, and so we see, okay, I'm not really, I'm not really firm and mature in, in, you know, building my faith upon the truth. And, and so God uses those situations to drive us to his word. And so we've probably uh, gone through that or we've seen that. When we go through a tough time, man, God uses that to get us into his word. But here's what I wanna warn you about. I deal with a lot of people in crisis. And so during that crisis, they're diving into God's word. God's using that to get them into the Bible. And then after a few days, they come to me and they say, God's just not speaking to me. I'm like, wow, it's been three whole days. It's like, yeah, it takes a little bit more time it takes a little bit more consistency in our life to go to God's word, to, to squeeze out the truth and just the power within. We don't just go to it once or twice and expect, you know, you know fire from heaven to fall down upon our enemies. It, it, it's a little bit more of a process as we dive into God's word. And so, so I want you to understand that we, 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 God uses suffering to go there, but we don't just accomplish and, and we don't just have all of our answers you know, answered in that one week. And so I wanna encourage you to continue to seek his truth. Now, as a side note, we've all probably experienced this or we've read about this or we've seen this. We've seen, you know, believers use God's word as a weapon. And they use it in the sense that, you know, so arrogantly and prideful condemning other people, you know, who are non-believers, you know, that they're not living a certain way. And so they're just kind of hammering them. They're kind of, what I call like their biblical Uzi is out and they're just mowing people down. It's like, that does no good. That's not helpful, you know? And so if you're here today and uh, you, you've been shot by an arrogant, prideful, you know, Bible quote from, from some Christian who, who wasn't speaking in love, uh, but you find yourself here, man, I wanna say continue to press into God's word and, and don't allow a negative bad experience from an arrogant Christian keep you from the truth of God's word and, and the power that's behind it. Continue to press in. 
So we, can, we, we know that it's important because it's our ultimate source of truth in life. But secondly, it's important because Jesus said it was important. Jesus believed it was true. And so if Jesus believed it was true, then I'm convinced that I need to ha- hold it in, in, in high value as well. In fact, if you say you believe in Jesus, but you don't believe that the Bible is inerrant, you don't believe it's the truth, then I think that you're actually being completely inconsistent in in your faith. If you wanna honor Jesus with your life, then you'll honor the scripture as an authority in your life because Jesus honored the scripture as an authority in his life. 64 different times Jesus quoted uh, the Old Testament scripture or referenced the Old Testament scripture. In John chapter five, verse 39, as an example, he says this, You search the scripture because you think that in them you have eternal life and it is they that bear witness about me. In other words, Jesus is giving validity to the Old Testament because he's saying that the Old Testament is bearing witness or telling the story about me. The Old Testament is predicting or prophesying that I'm coming and and my life is evidence that it's true. Again, in, in Luke chapter 24, verse 27 Jesus is talking to a couple of disciples after he had died on the cross and after he had been resurrected. So he's communicating and sharing with them. And he specifically says in verse 27 that he was sharing what was said in all the scripture concerning himself. So Jesus is having this conversation with these men talking about all the scripture in in the Old Testament that referred to him. Again, giving validity to the fact that the Old Testament is not only true, but it is valid and, and, and valuable even to this day. And so if, if there were mistakes in the Old Testament, and the reason why I'm saying this, by the way, is because there's a, there's a movement right now that would say that the Old Testament is just a bunch of stories and, and, and those stories uh, prove a point that we should you know, adhere to, but it didn't really happen. Noah didn't really have an ark. Adam and Eve aren't real people. It's just a good way to explain how things got messed up. Well, if you go down that route, then, then you begin to, to um, see all scripture through that lens and, and, and you don't hold it in high value. You don't see it as inerrant, as infallible. And that creates all kinds of uh, problems in your faith. And so, so when we see the Old Testament, we believe that these people were real and that it was true. And, and if there were errors, you know, and these people weren't real, then, then Jesus either knew about the errors and he just didn't say anything because he wanted to keep it a secret or Jesus didn't know that there were errors which would make him, you know, totally not very smart or Jesus believed there weren't any errors, (laughs) which is what I believe and that's why he references the Old Testament like he does. So this is very valuable to, to think through logically here. Jesus referenced the creation event of Adam and Eve he didn't say, hey, remember Adam? And I mean, that was a great story. No, he, he references that story as a real event in history. He references Cain killing Abel in Luke 11. He references Lot and his wife in Sodom and Gomorrah in Luke 17. He spoke of the prophet Daniel, of Moses, of Noah as real people. So the point is that Jesus believed that the scriptures were real, were, were true. And so if he did, then, then I want to hold them in that value as well. Not only that, but Jesus alludes to the fact that his very disciples would actually write 
scripture that would be God's word. He says this in John chapter 14, verse 26. He says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So Jesus is saying to his disciples, the Holy Spirit is gonna bring to your mind everything that I've taught you. And thank goodness the Spirit did because it was through that remembrance and that guidance of the Holy Spirit that we have the scripture today, what we call the New Testament. So it's important because it's true. It's important because Jesus believed it was true. And thirdly, it's, it's important because the Bible teaches me how to relate to God. Just think how we would relate to our creator if we didn't have the words of God before us today. How would we know what our purpose in life is? How would we know how God created us and what he created us even for? How am I supposed to relate to God? So when you think about your purpose, this is a big deal. You know, we all question what is life about? What is the meaning of life? But God's word specifically teaches us what it's about. God's word teaches us that he designed us uniquely. He gave me certain gifts. He, he has a purpose specifically for me. He's got a purpose specifically for you as well. He's got a plan for you. He, he loves you. That's why we teach camp two here at FC. And we, in that class, we teach that, that, that God has uniquely designed you for ministry. So we talk about your desires or your passion. You know, what are you passionate about? I'm passionate about sports. And so God has used sports in my life to, to help add value to other people's lives. What are my experiences? What are your experiences? And how has God used those to equip you for ministry? When we accept Christ, we get a spiritual gift. And so I've heard people say, I'm not good at anything. Well, that's a lie. If you believe in Jesus, you have a spiritual gift. And so, so how are you supposed to use that? Well, God's word tells us how to do that. We all have a unique personality. We're all different in, in how we relate to each other. And so God uses that personality. And so it's through a combination of all those things and our natural abilities that God designs us for ministry. There's so many people, this is a big deal because so many people live their whole life and they don't even know what their personality is. You know what? I, I would say maybe this is a total random statistic, okay? 99% of statistics are made up, by the way. But I would say about 90% of your marital problems could be solved if you just recognize the fact that you have a different personality from your spouse. Like on an X's and O's level, you could solve and resolve a lot of those issues if you would die to yourself and obviously have the spirit of God in your life and you wanna, you wanna die to yourself and, 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 and uphold your spouse. I mean, your personalities are a driving force in why you are selfish and why you do the things you do, just understanding that. And so when you go to work and you're not satisfied, you go to work and you're unfulfilled and, and, and a lot of that is because you're not living through the way God has designed you to live and, and, and maybe you've missed your calling. And, and so we have all these situations that add frustration to our life and, and the Bible specifically teaches us how to, how, how to live within the design that God has given to us. So it helps us relate to him. Obviously it helps us relate to God through salvation. How would we know that we, were, we are sinners? How would we know that, that sin demands punishment, that, that through the cross and through Jesus, those sins have been paid for and by faith in him, we can have our sins forgiven and enjoy relationship with him and enjoy heaven with him one day. You see, it's through the Bible that we understand how to relate to God through salvation. It's through the Bible that we understand what God wants from us. Wow, what's he want me to do? How does he want me to live my life? Well, what does God want me to say when I pray? Well, the Bible speaks to all those questions. 
What do I do when somebody acts this way or does this? Well, the Bible speaks to many of those situations. What am I supposed to do with my money? Am I just supposed to spend it and you, you know, run up credit card debt and, and just you know, use it flippantly? No, 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 no. The Bible speaks specifically about how we are to steward and use the money that he gives to us. The Bible speaks to all these questions and it all relates to how we interact with our creator. It's huge. You know, the Bible is also important. Final, number four here is because the Bible helps us um, really deal with our emotions. The Bible helps us deal with our emotions. And this is extremely important because we are emotional people. God created us to be emotional. And so when we laugh, uh, we're happy. And so we experience that emotion. When we're sad, we cry. And then some of you are married to, to individuals that will be so happy that they will cry. And then we'll be freaked out. And we don't know what to do with that. At least I don't. So we've got all these emotions. And so what do we do when we're angry? And, and maybe you know, you're the guy that has a short fuse and, and something doesn't go your way. And man, you immediately jump on it and you're loud and you're quick fuse, temper. And you're like, well, I'm just that way because you know, that's how my dad was or how so-and-so was. Or you know, maybe you're married to, to, to your wife and she's like that. I, I don't know. Well, what do you do with that? I mean, I mean you, you could actually change, you know? People in your family may want to be around you if you change. <laughs> People at work might stop avoiding you if you change. So it's probably a good idea that you try to figure out how to change. Well, the Bible speaks directly to the short-tempered man, or the short-tempered woman in the room. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 8 says, A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. I mean, don't you want to be a guy that quiets contention? I don't want to be the guy that stirs up fights or stirs up anger or stirs up strife. I want to be the guy who's mature enough and, and, and that can bring a level of spirituality to the, to the team that allows strife to be quieted. You know, so that's what I want to, I want that change to take place. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter four, verse 26, to be angry and do not sin. So this is big. Bible helps me deal with my anger. It doesn't say that anger is a sin here. Now, I'm sure there are, there are cases that, that being angry about something uh, could be a sin, but in this specific case, the, the emotion of anger is not necessarily the sin. The sin is what we do when we are angry. You know, we get mad and I wanna cuss somebody out and I wanna punch you in the nose, okay? Well, that would be sin, right? And so in your anger, don't sin. And so the Bible speaks to, to, to the, the way that I should interact with other people. And, and, and so when I understand these things, you know, so much of the Bible deals with our relationships with each other. It completely changes how we deal with each other. So it's so very vital that we understand that the Bible helps us deal with all of these emotions that we face. Now, some of you have experienced depression. Statistics say that one out of 10 individuals in America will suffer depression. Now that's full-blown depression, you know, clinical depression. But I mean, how many of us would say that, man, I'm just in a rut right now. Man, I'm just, I'm just down. I'm down because of stuff at work. I'm down and frustrated because of my kids and what's going on or school that, you know, related. I'm stressed about this. My kids are graduating or whatever it is. And so we go through these seasons of, 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 of depression or just, just down. So what do we do with that? You know, sometimes we can feel guilty. I'm, I'm down and so I just feel guilty and it just takes us deeper. But do you know that in the Bible, there are several people that actually suffered depression. Just pick up your Bible and read the book of Psalms. 
and you're gonna see a dude that was completely depressed half the time. I mean, he was, he was down because of his life and what had taken place to him. You read the story of Elijah. He went through serious depression. Moses went through depression. I mean, over and over again, we see these folks going through depression and how God used it to grow them, how God used it to help them to overcome certain things in their life. And so the Bible speaks clearly that that when we read it, when we apply it, we can experience the Holy Spirit and it is like medicine for our soul. So the Bible is valuable to us because it helps us deal and process our emotions. And then finally, number five, the Bible is important because it allows me to live life to the fullest, to live life to the fullest. Now, I mean, we wanna grow, we wanna know more about Jesus and I hope you do, I hope you're taking notes, I hope your Bible is with you today. Maybe you're reading Christian books, maybe you're listening to other pastors preach, this is all great stuff. You come to church here and, and the Bible teaches us that we're to gather for corporate teaching and corporate worship together. And so this is a, is a habit and a practice that, that um, I believe the scripture teaches us to do. So this is great, but let's just think about it for a minute. If this is the only time that you are actually getting into God's word or, or hearing it read or reading it for yourself, that means that on occasion, in, in one month, you're only getting four doses of the scripture in your life. That's if you come every week. Now, let's just go with a high estimate here and let's just say half my sermons are decent, okay? So that means half, so two out of the four are gonna be okay. That means twice a month is when you're gonna get filled with God's word. Now you tell me, is that enough to take you to a level that, that you would say it is a satisfying life or life to the fullest, an abundant life? I don't believe so. So my, my point is, read the books, listen to pastors, come to church. But at the end of the day, if you wanna experience a deeper level of faith in Jesus Christ, to dive into the deep waters of Jesus himself, you've gotta learn to feed yourself. You've gotta feed yourself which is an everyday feeding. And so that Sundays become add-on, it becomes a refresher, it becomes a, a challenge, it becomes a corporate opportunity for you to be blessed. But you're diving into God's word on your own and you're feeding yourself and the spirit of God is teaching you and growing you on your own pace and in your own process. This is the power of God and our life. Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 10, that the thief's purpose is to steal kill and destroy. So the enemy, Satan's purpose is to steal your joy, to kill your relationships, to rob you of a satisfying life. He wants to destroy your happiness. He wants to destroy you spiritually. He wants to destroy you financially. That's his purpose. But Jesus says that his purpose is to give us a rich and satisfying life. Now, I like that translation because it gives me a a fresh take on that verse. Other literal translations, it means Jesus is saying that I will give you life more abundantly or life to the full. But in this, I think it gives me a different picture. And and so not rich in the sense that, you know, he's going to grow my wealth or my bank account, but rich in the sense of life, a satisfying life. I mean, are you really experiencing a satisfying life? Life At the end of the day, does work truly satisfy you? Does money truly satisfy you? 
Is your your relationship with whoever truly satisfying you? Or at the end of the day, do you find yourself still needing and desiring something more? Well, I would argue that that something more is Jesus Christ in your life. We have a partner in our our church. His name is Michael Laws, and he has a great story of just how God spoke to him through the study of God's word. And we wanted to share that with you today. And um, I wanted you guys just to see a taste of, of what God could actually do in your own life. Guys, can you go ahead and play that clip? I knew who Jesus was. I would go to church with my grandma and my mom. And I heard people say, you know, Jesus died for your sins. I was like, that is, doesn't even make sense to me. I don't understand what that means. I thought maybe there's a God. There's probably not because of all that I saw. But I certainly knew at that point that, that the word, the Bible was not true. It was written by man. It didn't make any sense how it could ever, you know, really be given to us by the creator of the universe. That didn't make any sense to me. And, uh, and I made fun of people who, who read it and who believed it and who followed it. Uh, but I also had a lot of unhappy times in my life. A lot of things that, a lot of unhappy periods. I met my wife at work. You know, we got married. We were in the honeymoon phase for a while and we went through a, a rough time. We almost got a divorce. Things were falling apart. I was once again unhappy and I was frustrated and I just wanted to meet good people who were going to be nice to me. And I remember meeting some of those when I was going to church, some as a kid. And first time I went to church, it was just, a, it was a, an overwhelming experience, an emotional experience. And so I I opened the Bible and I started reading and it just so happened that I started with the Sermon on the Mount. And it, I cannot even explain the, the feeling that I got just from reading Jesus speaking to, to the crowd. And I just, every word that he said, just it, it felt like it was literally resonating in my body and was drawing me to him. And I fought it, I fought it for a while, I, a couple of weeks. I was scared of what people would think of me, you know, I wouldn't be able to listen to the same music that I used to listen to, and I was afraid of what I was gonna have to give up. Every time I opened the Bible and I would read about who Jesus was and I would read those words in red, I I physically felt something in my body being drawn to it, and eventually I just gave myself up to it. A friend of mine pointed me to Romans 8, and I was reading through it and I found Romans 8, 28, you know, and it told me, Right there, plain as day, all things work together for good for those who love God, for those who are called according to His purpose. And that changed my life. It made me realize that no matter what I had done, what people had done to me, no matter what had happened, He could use it for His purpose, and He could use me for His purpose. And if He could do that for me, and if He could give me a new life, I wanted to give Him everything. powerful story of how God can just change us just through simply reading his word. And and so I wanted to end today with just some practical uh, take home uh, with you today, this this card, this very practical in your hands. Let's read this. Let's go through this and guide us through what it looks like when we actually read the Bible. And so um, if you'll take this card, if you got it when you when you came in, if not, they're in the lobby, you can get one. But it's basically, we call it a REAP guide. So the word REAP is an acronym and it stands for uh, a few things. And I just want to quickly go through it with you. First off, the R stands for 
read. And so I know it's rocket science right here. And so we're gonna read the Bible, but we're just not gonna read it like a normal book. We're not gonna read it like we read our textbook for high school or college. And so we're just kind of skimming through it. No, the point is to actually get something out of it. And so we're actually going to read it and, and, and read it carefully. And so sometimes when you read the Bible, less is more. I know we've all been excited about, man, we're gonna get into God's word. And man, here we go. Let's go to Leviticus, you know, Leviticus one. It's like, Five minutes later, we're asleep and, you know, passed out on the couch. And so, so don't start there. If you're a new believer, or you've not been reading your Bible, start in the book of Mark. And just, it's a very short book, but it's powerful. It's amazing. It's, a, it's one of the gospels and, and uh, God will speak to you through it. So we just want to read it carefully. And, and, and as, as you read it, underline words, circle words that are, you know, stand out to you as, as important. And so we read it. The, the next letter in REAP is E. And so that just means examine it. So again, we're not just skimming through it and we're not just reading it to check it off our list like, you know, hey, we did it today, we're awesome. And the point is to, to, to hear from the Spirit of God. So I want to examine it. So I want to think through, okay, what's the main point? What is he saying? And, and think about it. And maybe I read it over and over again and just begin to let that just kind of sit in my mind and, and begin to examine it. And then the le- next letter is, is A, and that stands for apply. So this is where a lot of people fall short in their daily devotion. They don't think about how it applies to their life. And so when I read something and I figure out, okay, this is what the main point is. This is what, he, what God's trying to teach me through this. Then I'll ask questions like, well, how does that, that truth apply to me as a dad? How does that truth apply to me as a leader? How does it apply to me as a husband? And so I think through in terms of all these areas of my life to, to really begin to apply it uh, to my life. And then, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm actually understanding, that, okay, maybe there's some sin that I need to confess. And, and here is some sin in, in, in areas of my life that, that I want to move away from. And then the next letter, P, stands for pray. And so we're going to end that time simply praying. And even the word pray is an acronym. So the, the first letter is P and that stands for praise. And so we're going to start our prayer just by simply praising God for who he is. I know a lot of times when we pray, we jump right into the, to the give list or to the wish list. God, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. Well, he already knows what you need and what you, know, what you want. Uh, so we, we should kind of slow down there and just start with praising him for, for who he is. So it's a time of, of personal worship. God, you are this, you are great. Sometimes I'll go through the whole alphabet and just think of different ways to praise God, just to be creative and, and read the book of Psalms and you'll see how creative we can get, you know, when it comes to praising God. And then uh, the, the next letter is R and that stands for repent. And so I'm gonna use that time to turn from sin in my life. What areas of my life am I struggling with that I need to turn from? And so I'm gonna, Give that to the Lord. And then the next letter is A. And, and so that's what I'm gonna ask. I'm gonna ask God for various things, what I'm, what I'm seeking him for, what I'm asking. The Bible says you, you have not because you ask not. So I wanna spend that time asking him and I wanna dream big and I wanna ask big and, and seek him in those areas. But then finally, the Y stands for yield. So I'm gonna ask big, I'm gonna ask God for all these great things, but then I'm gonna say, God, this is what I want, but I'm gonna yield what I want to what is best and, and I want to yield myself to your plan because your plan might be better than this. I, I think this is what I want, but maybe that's not what I need. And so I want to yield and surrender myself to you and I want to end my time uh, w- w- with that kind of language. And so um, take this home, read through it, talk about it today at lunch, talk about it with your family. This is a great uh, tool to share and to teach your kids how to get into their Bibles. Teach them as young as you can um, uh, to get into God's word and make that a practice and a habit in their life. The backside of the card is kind of a personal example that you could do um, and, and kind of use that to kind of guide you. Now, 
Now, Pastor Brandt did an excellent job in a video that we've got online at fiddleschurch.com slash word on reap. Go home and watch that. He, he dives into it much deeper and, and, and much better than, than I just did. But this will add, um, just, just kind of sharpen your tool of, of getting into God's word. And so I want to encourage you guys, hey, in life to the fullest, that's what I want. I want to overcome my sin. I want to overcome issues in my life. I want to be a better husband. I want to be a better leader. I, I want to experience more joy in, in this life. And I, I know the only way to do that is to dive into God's word and experience his truth in the word as he changes me. And so I know God has big plans for me. I know God's not finished with me. And listen, I know he's not finished with you. I know there's, there's so much more in you that you can and will do but it's only when you partner with the Spirit of God. And we do that when we are in His Word. Don't miss this opportunity. Don't miss this chance. Think about what your life would, would be like. Think about how you would, you would be living your life if you were truly abiding in the words of Jesus. I'm telling you, it will change everything. Let me pray with you and then we'll be dismissed. Don't miss next Sunday as we close out this series. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. God, I'm praying that you would give us a passion and a drive to learn and to be in your word. I pray against that, that person in the room that would say, I'm not a big reader, and that you would destroy that temptation and that thought in their life, and they, they would truly find joy in reading your word and embracing your word, examining it, God, I pray that when we do, that you would speak to us like never before. I pray that you would not only grow us numerically as a church, but you would grow us in depth and in spiritual maturity. And I know that the way to see that happen is through your word. And so, Father, we love it. We adore it. And God, we desperately seek you and need you and want you in this place and in our own personal life. And we pray this in the name of Jesus, amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.